uh, well, uh, good day. Good day. Good day, eh? And welcome to another Forge Side Chat, where we talk about blacksmithing, bladesmithing, and everything in between, with usually a heavy focus on talent of the Great White North. Yeah, today we're changing it up a little bit. Uh, you know, we're talking about Canada there, eh? But today we've got a gentleman from uh, St. Louis, the United States, with us. We've got Sean Flotman on. Did I say that right? Is it Flotman? Uh, or is it Flotman? Floatman. Floatman, I'm sorry. The umlaut did not make it across the pond when uh, when our forefathers came across. So, yeah, it's a long O. <laughs> English first name, German last name. Interesting. Cool. Well, Sean's a well-known TIG welder in the Instagram world. He's created quite a name for himself and became a, uh, you call it a bit of an Instagram superstar there. And in the welding world, he's created a really good name for himself. He's now working with the American Welding Academy. Academy. Thank you very yes, much. Sir. He's been with them for a couple of years. I told now. you He's... to write it down, Lando. <laughs> Plans, right? Plans. I don't yeah, have any. No. I'm terrible at this stuff coordinating myself. I, I, well, speaking of coordinating, that's what Sean's doing now. He's their outreach coordinator, and he's going out doing recruiting and uh, promoting for their uh, for their school. Uh, you were teaching there at one time too, right? You start uh, I get to do I get to do private lessons and stuff, but since I never went to a welding school, I've never received any formal training for welding. So um, in my 22 year career, I did a ton of stainless welding, uh, but outside of stainless steel uh, and a little bit of aluminum, there's a lot of gaps in my training and stuff. Um, so uh, I can do very specific lessons very well. But as far as the broad training that a student is after, uh, from my background, uh, those gaps mean that if I wanted to be an instructor, I would need to, you know, get a little more information myself. Interesting. Well, that gives us an interesting jumping off point. How did you get into welding? I started as a temporary, uh, while going to business school. <laughs> uh, I took the advice of real left turn counselors. Well, you know, they, uh, I don't know how things are in Canada, but in uh, the United States, especially in the late 90s, they were heavily pushing college and a lot of times still do. Uh, yeah. I uh, am, you know, very hyperactive, have ADHD. I found that putting a welding hood on me um, takes out from all the external distractions. And as soon as I fell into that, it was uh, the only thing I enjoy doing as much as like playing the drums. And I, you know, TIG welding and playing the drums require a lot of the exact same motor skills. So uh, one I enjoyed thoroughly that paid me nothing. The other pays me pretty handsomely. So, you know, luckily I found welding and uh, all these years later, the, the, the couple business classes I did finish uh, and the public speaking stuff like that does come in handy now that I'm recruiting. Well, yeah. So it wasn't a complete waste, but it was definitely not something that I wanted to spend the next two or four years paying for much less the rest of my life actually doing, you know? Mm-hmm. Hey, fair enough. You found something you love. Uh, turns out I'm a shop hand. You know, I enjoy working uh, in the shop, getting dirty. Um, I've never done a lot of forging or blacksmithing. Um, I use a little extra, you know, arc uh, to, to generate the, uh, the welding process there. Uh, but there's a lot of similarities between the two, the cleanliness, uh, you know, the attention to detail. And uh, it is definitely something that fascinates me for sure. 
Well, one of the things that fascinates me about you is your stainless artwork, man. Like that's something that I've that I really gravitated towards you at first as I saw your page, your Instagram stuff, and you were doing stainless take artwork, and it's just like kind of mind bending in a way how perfect your dabs are. <laughs> dabs, as in you're <laughs> dropping your dimes, right? Stacking yep. your dimes, right? Yep, yep. And you know. In Canada, marijuana being legal and everything, we all you know refer to dabs as something else up here every once in a while. But Better hurts for a little double entendre uh, when you're trying to market yourself. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. there's a crossover there. Uh, absolutely. So you know, and and when I named my, it really started with an English background like Beef Wellington, uh, and there was a guy that used to be on Weld.com before Bob Moffat back in the day, and he always said, "Now we're just going to lay a little dab in there." Uh, and it started out with dab well and eventually just turned into like dabs wellington it just rolled off the tongue nicely uh and then right after that all these kids started doing this thing so everybody thought i was trendy for that and now they think it's because of pot so it just happens to work out nicely that it always keys into something to where i get a little extra bump uh in one area or another that has absolutely nothing to do with welding so that's uh marketing 101 folks you know yeah, a little crossover appeal yeah. it never smart. hurts <laughs> your artistic background runs a little bit deeper than your TIG work though because you were in a band when you were in high school right oh for sure I was gonna I was gonna be a uh, live that rock and roll lifestyle until I figured out that most gigs paid enough for gas and you know enough booze for the night and then you know it was off to somewhere else so um it was a lot of fun but it was nothing that was ever presented itself as a means of sustenance you know it it's something that, that i like up. to get back into and have fun with now that i'm financially stable <laughs> but it wasn't a i wasn't going to be a professional rock star of any sorts you know yeah what's the old joke uh what's the difference between a musician and a pizza what's that a pizza a pizza can feed a family of four there you go exactly <laughs> you know up. and well, honestly it would have been the exact same thing if i would have started my career with artwork you know um, I, I can feel that, man. You know, uh, that was something I didn't start till 15 years into welding, you know, so uh, experience, you know, that's why they look the way they do. It's not, I'm no different than any other welder. I've just done this a lot and been doing it for a long time. The artwork is unlike, or just like anything else. If you see a great pipe welder, it's not the first time he's touched something round. Uh, the reason I'm good at mirror is because I've sat down and done 200 of them at this point, you know, it's an investment, the same as blacksmithing, anything. It's an investment of time and trade for a skill. Oh, absolutely. 15 years is like, that's a span, dude. Like if you were to tell somebody you need to spend 15 years on this before you're going to start taking those oh, extra it would, steps. It wouldn't necessarily take that though. Uh, but I'd reached a point where I was bored as shit of welding. You know, I did a okay. lot of factory work uh, early in my career, for sure, where it was a lot of repetitive nature, uh, which makes you a good welder, but it gets you burnt out as well. Mm -hmm. uh, the artwork is cool because it's always something different. You know, a different image uh, and mirrored material. You guys know from blacksmithing, uh, the cleaner the material, the easier it is to work with. Uh, nothing gets any cleaner than a mirror, so it has... The only things you're fighting is the wire you're putting into it and the gas coverage of your heated weld pool. You know, so it's it removes all external variables to where you can concentrate on what really matters, just the weld. Right on. Now, 
being something of a real novice welder, uh, what's the process look like for when you're welding, especially TIG welding stainless? Well, TIG welding stainless is more difficult than steel uh, or different than aluminum just because the material is so reactive uh, to the environment. So you need a much larger nozzle, higher gas flow. Uh, and for the artwork, I'm honestly welding way slower than most people think. You know, if okay. I were to post a real-time video, you know, it takes a couple hours to finish one of these out. Uh, but it's about the amount of wire I'm pushing into that puddle uh, and the backer that's behind it. You know, that's why you don't see much of a heat-affected zone around it, because the bulk of that heat is going into that, that wire that I'm constantly piping into it. Did you say the backer behind it? Yeah, I've got an inch, uh, an inch thick block of steel that I weld all of these 12 gauge uh, mirror polish plates down to where that draws most of the heat away from the surface as I'm doing it. Interesting. Oh, so this is really interesting. So it's just a giant heat sink, you know. You get the heat just enough that you start getting that melting point on the base material, but try to focus more of the heat into the filler rod? Uh, just push enough of it into that that it's going to soak you know, up the uh, heat. You think about the wire, it's like throwing tiny little ice cubes into a hot drink. Yep, right. You know, it's going to slowly cool it down the more wire you push in there. And with that backer behind it, you know, it's like you're, once I cut it free, yes, it's a 12-gauge piece of material. But when I'm actually welding on it, it might as well be an inch and an eighth thick. 12-gauge is what you normally use? Yep, yep. Right right at or barely under an eighth of an inch. Yeah, like 11-gauge is uh, eighth. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. I, I really love 12 gauge, but 11 and 12 gauge, I can get those, you know, I, I try to buy, unfortunately, mirrored material is incredibly expensive, uh, but I've polished my fair share over the years, so I would much rather buy it polished than do it by hand. Uh, so luckily, sometimes locally, I'm able to source it used, you know, find it on eBay or something like that. Uh, otherwise, a full sheet, you know, it's about the price of a, a small used escort. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? uh, it's a, a pretty serious dollars. product investment. Yeah. Were you talking you know, about a car? You're talking about a car, right? Yeah. You know, I mean, a hell of a sheet of paper. <laughs> 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 oh, oh, man. a long time. You take it easy oh. there. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, and it on has here. begun. I've never met a welder that's paid for sex. <laughs> yeah, not a single one. That's right. N never. <laughs> <laughs> or uh, or illegitimate children, for that matter. <laughs> uh, no. So, what kind of settings are you running to work on a 12-gauge piece of stainless? Um, If I'm doing the artwork, it'll be anywhere between 70 to 90 amps. Okay. Cool. It just depends on if I'm running a straight stringer, if I'm going around a curve or something, you know, because anytime you curve, uh, stay in one spot, you're localizing that heat a lot more. Uh, so that's going to cause your weld pool to grow and different things like, uh, you know, just heat and time is what really matters on any of your welding. The longer you stay there, the more energy is being absorbed, the longer it's going to take that gas to cover it and dissipate it. So you just kind of kind of always be juggling uh, travel speed wire and uh distance away from your material as long as you can keep all of those constant tig welding is a breeze honestly yeah i I, I can is, agree to that the problem is you're you, you make it sound so simple it's really no. not <laughs> but you've got to be a machine dude like you literally have to be like so 
freaking perfect, man. Almost. It's, well, I don't know. Perfection. There's, there's 15 in my garage right now that I walk by every time I go to sit down that were mistakes. You know, oftentimes with these mirrors, if you screw it up, there's no coming back from it. Cut it off and yeah. you start over. So I walk by that stack of 15 every day, hoping it's not going to be 16. You know, you need reminders like that. Oh, yeah. Nobody's Blacksmiths always keep a bucket of learning. <laughs> yep. Wall of shame. Yep. Yep. Yeah. But those are the best learned lessons. Yep. It, takes a real good, it takes a real good fuck up to give me enough of a sting to remember, I'm not going to do that one again. You know, hey Lando, you should apply this logic to making knives. Make them, screw them up. Well, I mean, I actually just bought a heat treating oven, dude. Did you now? Where did you happen to acquire that from? Last night, I uh, had to go help my mom. She's got got a new dishwasher, and I went to go wire it up. And out of all the wiring in the house, the dishwasher's just got aluminum wiring run to, ran to it. So it's like, oh, mom, what the heck is Ruh-roh. this? We need to get this out of your out of your house now. So I ripped it out, and it was like, okay, well, it's 8 o'clock. I'm going to run to Home Depot and, and get some new wire. And I looked on my phone on Marketplace. I got a notification that there was something on Marketplace. And here's this freaking Paragon kiln for $85, dude. That is Working an absolute everything. Sorry, Sean, what did you say? Working condition? Uh, well, I have faith that the girl that sold it to me did not lie to me, that she was honest and she sold the, a working unit to me. She was very kind about things and, you know, went over and she showed me that there's a small crack in one of the bricks on the inside, which turned into a little bit of a bigger crack on the travel home. But uh-huh. yeah, yeah, it doesn't matter. I, yeah, exactly. Right. So yeah. if it comes down to it, I just replaced some of the bricks in there if I have to, but. Yep. Yeah. Actually, I was kind of wondering, like, it's a weird unit because it's got a top lid and a bottom lid, and then the PID unit with the thermocouple and its and its wires, it's all like a central unit that has an opening on the top and the bottom, right? For It's pretty much just a, a floating it's, unit type yeah, thing. Yeah, it's, it's a so pottery weird. kiln. I thought pottery kilns were more like the big motherfuckers that you can like the lid slides off to the side. Uh, They're different sizes, man. And glass as well. You know, a lot of glass was a temper as their, their glass is cooling. Yeah. That's what this girl said that she used it for was doing the uh, glass fusing where you lay the glass on top of each other, bring it up to heat and it just melts together. Yeah. Yeah. Same kind of oven. Basically that's yeah. That round section you, you can actually get additional, like, sort of, like, stacks for it, pieces, so you can create bigger chambers. Okay, well, so that's that's what I was kind of wondering. So this one's square, and I was like, man, I could just, like, stack more fire brick on top of this to get a deeper chamber. Yeah, you can. And there's actually most, I don't know about the, squ- I've never seen a square one set up that way, but I've seen all the round right? ones. You can usually, you just, you can actually get second units second and third units and you plug them in and you'll oh, actually have that be for your your heat cycling and hardening process or is that what you're actually using for the forging then no the forge is ran off of a propane okay. uh, burner yeah, yeah. yeah and if you go on youtube sure we're on the same page yeah. yeah no and so like the, i started off on a venturi unit where it just naturally aspirates oxygen into the into the flame right Mm-hmm. Uh, I've recently, well, after that, I moved on to a, a blower unit. All I did was add a squirrel cage blower to the to the burner, 
so okay. that it was forcing the air in instead. And then I plugged one side of the of what the Venturi system was sucking air in. That worked awesome. It improved my gas consumption great. But then I moved on now to what's called a ribbon burner. It's also forced air, but essentially all it is, is instead of being one giant opening for your flame to come, come out of, you pretty much close that opening. A lot of guys are building... Um, using refractory they pour it with with straws or crayons so you get a whole bunch of holes kind of like like a barbecue burner would work I, I, essentially, yeah right? a, a barbecue yeah. burner is essentially a ribbon burner okay yeah, yeah. yeah so, so now, that, that's what everyone's using nowadays a lot of the ones i've seen just usually have like three burners coming in the top so i guess that would be yeah. the the one in the middle that you were talking about well I, I, most of them are venturi burners a, a, a venturi burner is essentially an upside down bunsen burner Okay. Yeah, that's, that's right. It's it's just using the gas pressure being pulled down to suck air along with it. Okay. Uh, that that's got the advantage that you don't need electricity. You don't need a blower. You can just set up and use, but it also means that the only way to get more air into your forge is to add more fuel and you're, it becomes slightly more difficult to get them tuned and much more difficult to get really high heats. So by adding a little extra oxygen, less fuel, higher heat. Bingo. Yeah. Kind of but like then, the torch. Kind of like running a torch. All this stuff just, uh, you know, there's a lot of It is an over. awful lot like setting a torch, yeah. Yep, yep. Uh, you've, you'll, from what you've done with welding for 22 years now, I guarantee you, you'll look at blacksmithing and gather what you need to get, get out of it in, like, no time flat. It'll be so simple for you to walk into blacksmithing. One of the things that that we're kind of leaning on here right now is, you know, the gas and oxygen mixture, which is exactly something that you deal with with TIG welding is controlling your gases. And that's something that you'll find in forging as well. You get too much too much oxygen and then you start getting an oxidize, oxidizing flame and it starts burning out of all of your carbon out of your steel on you. And that's something yeah, that you're really scale. careful for. Yeah. Yep. So the the atmospheric things that are happening while you're welding are the exact things that you're looking out for when you're forging. Yeah, yeah pretty much the exact same problems. You know. Yeah. But yeah. I can't say that I've ever heard of anybody adding argon to their forge when it comes to stainless steel welding, uh, yeah. uh, forging. Sorry. And this is kind of one of the things where I'm like, because okay, it so didn't work. How does well, stainless steel see. forging re- actually work out that you're not creating? Uh, like ruining just, the stainless. I, I would imagine just because you're grinding all of that off eventually. Yeah, know? really. You you can't very effectively, anyways, uh, forge stainless steel to finish. You have to yeah. forge it to shape and then finish by grinding, machining, things like that. And right. If you try to, of... you'll just end up with the worst kind of like. You end up with pitting. You end up with embedded oxides that are a miserable pain to get off. Yeah, exactly. It's, uh, you know, forging stainless is the kind of thing where you are going to forge to rough shape and then grind or machine to finish. Did you, is that something that is very popular? You know, forging, forging stainless, stainless is steel a lot. You know, I, from my experience, what I've seen, most knife makers are doing steel, um, you know, if they're getting fancy, it's Damascus or Gomai or Sanmai, but I don't see a lot of people doing stainless. Is there a huge market there? Most of the guys who do stainless are people who do stock production knives. Start okay. out with a bar of stainless, cut it, grind it to shape, and then yeah. if they've got the facilities, heat treat it themselves, if not send it out. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, forging. I mean, there are guys that do it, absolutely, uh, but they're in the minority just because you you end up making so much more work for yourself and trying to forge a piece of stainless steel to shape and leave yourself enough margins to be able to actually. And it doesn't get as hard as a good piece of steel either. It Uh, depends a lot on the alloy. Okay. 440C is your kind of your classic, but the whole 440 series, really, you can get those perfectly hard enough to be a knife, a cutting edge. You're going to get those up to 58 Rockwell. Yeah, but you can start going into your like higher end stainless alloys. And yeah, you're not forging those. More. Yeah, and then, and yeah. then you got to start doing cryogenic treatment when you're done heat treating and stuff like that. So you actually pull the yeah. full Martin uh, cycle into play. Is that is that something that you have any knowledge about? Is like um, the metallurgy side of things with stainless and the Martin site and perlite and all those things? Oh, no. Yeah. No. Okay. No. You don't have know, to when it comes to I technology, know everything right? From the user end, uh, but as yeah. far as like technical information. Um, I know how to differentiate between the rods, but I don't know, you know, the chemical makeup of a lot of them. Um, I've been the guy that's been doing it, you know, uh, and that, and another unfortunate thing of, you know, there's a lot of bonuses to learning on the job because you got to learn your own way out of every mistake you've ever made. So it makes you a much more resilient worker, but it also takes you a lot longer to learn everything because there's never anyone to show you, Hey, I made that same mistake. Here's how you do it. You know, so having... You don't have the fool's advice. Yeah, well, uh, that is really why when I started doing the artwork, I got on Instagram and social media. That was my first experience to having a helping hand, uh, being a fly on the wall in the best shops, um, not just in Missouri, but nationwide and Canada, all over the place, you know. Um, And I've always found if you admire another tradesman and take interest in his work, and you ask them questions, they're going to tell you what they've got going on. Oh, you know? heck yeah. I mean, maybe not immediately. You're going to have to talk to them for a moment. But I know if someone is genuinely interested in my process, I'll tell them to get a pad of paper. Let's talk, you know, um, because in turn, by sharing skills and information, um, some of my greatest achievements today are because of mistakes I made along the way. Um, you only find those little nuggets by happenstance. Um, the chances of someone else finding one and then ultimately sharing that back with me, I'd rather take that gamble and get some information that I'm never going to find out myself, you know, and that's where getting outside of just welding, um, getting into high schools and experiencing welders, you know, pipe welders are completely different breed than sheet metal welders. (laughs) All I did was sheet metal. So when I made the transition into teaching at a pipe school, I was incredibly excited because not only do I have the availability of five instructors that know a lot of shit that I don't, mm-hmm. uh, but we're in a place that that's all their job is to teach people. So I've, inc- I've learned an incredible amount of stuff from another job, you know, so that's, that's very cool um, to get paid to learn. <laughs> it's the exact opposite of school, I guess. No kidding. That's the best, that's the best case scenario right there. Getting paid to learn. Yeah. I managed to wrangle that for university. It was pretty cool. (laughs) (laughs) See, it's a, it's a pretty decent gig if you can manage it, you know. I was on EI when I went to school. Does that count? (laughs) Uh, Not sure about that. (laughs) 
I wanted to ask you when it comes to your stainless steel art pieces, when you're doing your finishing work on them, what what steps do you take for finishing and doing any corrosion prevent, uh, you know, prevent corrosion from occurring afterwards and whatnot? Zero. Really? Uh, maybe a little wax, uh, but anything, any clear coat, lacquer, anything like that um, completely doles out all the color. Yeah, so I was going to say, to get that patina that you get, that's a, uh, you've got to get that straight from the from the weld torch. Yeah, so um, as long as they're inside, they do very well. Uh, I've got, you know, a handful out in my garage. They will eventually start getting, uh, especially if you rub your fingers and get them dirty, you'll start to notice haze. Uh, but as long as you wipe them frequently with Windex and a nice cotton cloth, uh, you know, I've got one in my office that's been there for a couple years, a handful downstairs. Um, you know, they fare pretty well. Now, if you had them outside in the humidity, um, you know, if you put them outside at a bar and there was, you know, you were down south and there was salt water in the air, for sure, they are going to oxidize um, okay. faster than a, a plain piece of stainless wood, 100%. Yeah, I think yeah. one thing that sometimes people forget that it, the the word stainless it should be read literally as it's sort of written stainless. Yeah, the funny stains thing is less though, than every other piece of steel. It's usually not the weld beads on the mirror that start to get the the oxidation and corrosion. It's right outside the heat affected zone. It's it gets like kind of a hazy look to it. Interesting. I, they may rust eventually. I don't know. I, you know, give it twenty years or something. Or just well, the set reason. It outside. Yeah. The, oh, okay. So further into that, then do you do stuff for outside work at all? Uh, I, I haven't done anything of the stainless artwork, but you know, like plasma and powder coated signs, things like that for sure. Okay. So if you were to do anything for stainless steel, that's going to be outdoors and the elements and stuff like that, what kind of uh, finishing effects would you do to it then? Um, mirror finish, uh, and then probably a combination of some, you know, grind, swirl grind marks or something like that. Stainless does really good at refracting light, you know, so a, a nice oh, yeah. sculpture that's got a, a skip grind pattern or something on it is pretty eye-catching. Yep. And it's something that will be shiny and stay there exactly the same forever, you know. Yeah. No applied finishes, though? Uh, for a stainless something ground like that, it wouldn't need it at all, No. Okay. The you reason know, I mean, that I ask is get water spots on it, but I mean, you know, a little Windex or some lime away or something once a year, it'd look, it'd look pretty nice. Okay. So I, I'm, the reason I'm asking this is through the stainless steel um, education, if you will, experience that I've got. Uh-huh. Pickling paste was one of the things that's come into my work. And oh, yeah. I've gotten, I've got the understanding that I should be, treating every weld area with pickling paste prior to it going into service. Am I kind of overdoing things by making that? I guess that, that would depend uh, what kind of what kind of work are you doing? Is it food service? Is it pharmaceutical? Is it sanitary? Uh, or is it a shoe rack? Okay. Because all of those are going to require a lot different steps. Um, but when I first started having to remove brown, we used a lot of pickling paste. Um, I believe Cougartron is from Canada, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, but then you've got Walter, you've got Enzatech, and then Fronius as well all have um, passivation machine. Yeah. So if you've got to continue doing that, 
Uh, that's a quicker, uh, what I've been told, less harmful way than using pickling paste. Yeah. Yeah. What's pickling paste? <laughs> Green jelly that removes colorful welds. Oh, okay. It's, the one I have is like, is like a clear jelly. Okay. Yeah. Maybe mine's just um, a little old. And it'll it'll start to smoke and stuff like that, depending on how the application works and uh-huh. stuff like that. You do not want to breathe the fumes in from that. You don't want to get it on your skin. What is it like nitric acid and something else, isn't it? Okay, so uh, this is hot applied, yeah? Nope. It doesn't even have to be hot applied. Yeah, you brush it on. And with, it'll start uh, fuming. Oh, oh yeah. It's, it's pretty potent stuff. It's got the chemical reaction is and it foams and bubbles and then I'm you sure that's exactly you know because nitric acid and citric acid is what you're using with the passivation machines. I think it's just a much more diluted solution, but the added electrical current is what is really jump starting that process there. Makes sense. And I, I I've been reading into this. I know a lot of places have started turning towards straight citric acid for their passivation process, but it, it's a multi bath situation. And yeah, most you know, most food grade and pharmaceutical have got to use citric because the problem with passivation machines, if you don't get it a hundred percent neutralized, uh, yeah. you've got uh, most of our sanitary work. You had to weld every seam for our food grade stuff. Uh, where nothing could come leaching back out of that a lot of times the that solution will eventually um leach and etch out like a, a white haze kind of stuff yeah and that's that is definitely not something that you would like to ingest <laughs> yeah well and timing with the pickling pace is pretty critical too right um, you don't want to leave it too long because oh, it'll actually burn application and removal yeah, yeah it'll, it will it will stain you can you know remove color from your stainless Beyond the point that you want to, yeah. It's, Is that would it would trying to do that on the mirror finish ruin the mirror finish like instantly? Oh, it, would, or? it would make it dull and hazy for sure. Yeah, that's kind of what I figured. Yeah, yeah. You know, even even touching up and matching because even though it's a mirror finish, if you look very closely, there is a grain direction to it. So trying to remove color and match that original grain direction, you'll always see a, a reflection of almost a different spot unless you really take it through all the steps, like down to almost an automotive finish again. You know, with a real big fluffy buffer, and the problem there is you're going to knock so much of that color off the, the tight areas that you're trying to keep or something that once I've welded them, you don't want to do much of anything else to them again. Mm-hmm. Nope, you know? For sure. Send it, so, get it. Yeah, it comes off as a pretty tricky process. You got one shot at that to get it right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that's why, I, you know, when I do those, I do them first thing in the morning. I usually do them fasted. I try to only have two cups of coffee. You know, there's kind of <laughs> times of day and ways that I've found that I am most likely to be successful at this. That is way too complicated for me. And I mean, like, I, I'm like, I survive on coffee and cigarettes. So this, I would be terrible at this. Well, the the end of the, if I want to weld at the end of the day, it's it's usually we're going to try new stuff and, and fuck around. You know, it's like if I'm doing serious and I'm trying to pay a bill with this piece, it's like we're going to knock it out first thing, um, you know, to where you get the hard stuff out of the way to where you can play. <laughs> now, I'm interested sense. to know as well. 
what you're using as far as your consumable goes when it comes to this so on the 12 gauge steel what size of cup are you using what side of tungsten are you using what kind of gas second, three thirty second electrodes um small enough uh to where you get a nice clean arc start you know because the smaller the tungsten the less resistance uh so the lower uh cleaner arc start you can get um being as i'm not going much over 90 amps ever uh, with this process. You could probably even get away with, I don't know, a 16th maybe, but I've got the most experience with 332nd, so I go with what I know. Uh, I put a 22 degree grind on there uh, to where it's keeping most of that arc spread out across the surface. Uh, and then my cup is usually a Michael Furick um, BBW. Uh, so that would be a, I believe it's actually 20 millimeter, if okay. I'm not mistaken. Uh, so it's, it's big cup, you know, yeah, that's a big cup. Yeah. Um, but that's exactly what we need. So I've got a EBW. He like them big. That, well, you know, uh, all of Furyx cups are, uh, let's see, uh, the FUPA, the BBW, the moose knuckle. I don't know where he gets all these names. There's gotta be some correlation here, but I've yet to figure it all out. I just know that they work very well. Um, <laughs> Yeah, everybody loves a moose knuckle. They really, they're the best. They do work. A little bit of Canadian in there, hey? Well, you know, uh, once again, Furek knows his cross-promotion. So, you know, it's marketing at its best there. Smart, yeah. Are they the glass lenses? Uh, the glass ones work great um, because you can actually see through the, the, the cup itself. Where with the glass ones, I can watch my trailing weld bead turning colors as I'm getting away from it. Yeah. Uh, so there is a definite benefit to that. Um, I've really been enjoying the the ceramic one lately, though, because I I can just kind of chuck it around, and I do a lot more traveling and welding with high school students these days. So something a little more robust is by far, um, you know, much more the speed of what I'm into day to day. But at home, uh, it's the glass one. Okay. Hang on. Well, maybe maybe you could tell us a little more about your tools. <laughs> tell us about your. <laughs> tell us about your tools. <laughs> I just What's your setup what... look like? The, the tool. Well, my rig. Um, I use a CK um, flex lock rig. Uh, so my torch, the body comes off at a forty-five degree angle, uh, and then the head rotates three hundred and sixty degrees. Oh, that's sweet. So the cool thing is there, uh, if I'm going to be spending four hours on the same piece, comfort is key. Uh, so I can get it locked in right on my hand to where all I'm doing is sliding my base, you know, the base of my hand around this. So it's, you know, like you're drawing, basically. Um, it has got a, a a small shaft on it, if you will, uh, to where mm -hmm. I can index and roll it between my thumb and index finger uh, to where I can change the pitch when I'm coming around corners because... You always want the tungsten. Oh, dude. Yeah. Thin gets it in. Uh, but that allows me to index this torch. Uh, you got a shaft like a needle and an ass like a sewing machine. There we go. That's <laughs> what I'm talking about. Just wave and give us warnings for when this gets too awkward. Oh no! Uh, believe me, I knew going in that when I said a long, thin shaft that it was going to be open season. So you know, I can read it really well. Oh. We're going to get deep here. 
<laughs> the way she likes it, buddy. Deep. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, other than the torch, the cup, um, my fancy back caps, um, they really have no effect on the weld itself. Uh, that's just for Instagram flex. Um, I love those fancy back caps, dude. Those yeah. are super slick. I love but, that. You know, They're working to who now? Instead of your basic plastic backing cap on your gun that like your tungsten yeah. rod goes through your gun and then it's got a lot of so he takes that crappy plastic thing off and he's made ones that look like bullets and stuff it's fucking rad dude. oh sweet yeah, yeah. so uh drip oh, okay welding, that's what i was seeing okay a drip welding made the one that looks like a bullet uh and then a couple years ago i met uh a guy from russia actually uh inox plane uh on instagram his name is dimitri and he makes most of the really crazy a uh, burl and acrylic combination ones that I've got. Okay, cool. Oh, cool. Yeah, the burl ones are slick as f too, man. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I mean, that's you know, that's something else that you know, turning, machining, things like that. Another fascinating process or rabbit hole to just completely go down. Basically, anything you can fabricate with your two hands, I'm kind of into. Yeah, I like. We didn't sidetrack you at all on your. I like your people that make things. You know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, machining is definitely another one of those things you can go way down a rabbit hole. I, I've only done my first little bit of digging into it. Uh, let's see, aren't yeah. Titans of Machine from the Great White North? Isn't that a Canadian company? I'd say if no you guys have never seen them on Instagram, look up Titans of CNC after this. This is the homework okay. for the evening. Oh, okay, Not yeah, I do believe I've actually seen some of their stuff, yeah. Yes. Not pretty. Me. Pretty neat stuff. Yeah, I see. I'm I'm an old school manual machinist, oh, right? I mean, I, I sit the there and think a DRO is fancy. Well, see, I like uh, you know a lot of the a lot of the welding machines that I'm using anymore are very foreign to a lot of the guys on the pipeline. You know, these battery operated uh, inverter and different smaller machines. But I embrace new technology. I really like being able to weld with the old stuff as well. I don't think you should teach anybody on just a brand new machine, but being able to use the new and the old is a very awesome skill set where you can bridge the new school and the old school, you know? Absolutely. I mean, we do similar things in blacksmithing, right? You've got guys who, you know, learn and practice on coal. You got guys who are running propane. You got guys mm -hmm. who are running induction forges. And I mean, I've been able, I've been fortunate enough to be able to use all three. So now an induction forge, would that just be the copper rings? You're just passing the blade through that and everything then? So just yep. like, like they're hardening things for welding. Awesome. Yep. The, uh, the induction forges are pretty cool. Um, I personally, I would love to have one, but I don't think it would be my go-to just because of the type of work that I do. I would need uh -huh. one that was a pretty significant, like, serious unit, right? Yeah. But uh, for guys who do more of the decorative style work especially, and for guys that want to do sort of fancy heat treats with differential hardening and things like that, mm -hmm. they're uh, they're pretty uh, cool units to play around with. My buddy... Uh, you could just, I guess you could just drop it in half of it and only harden the, you know, the... The back or front of your blade, then. Yep. Absolutely. That's kind of uh, my buddy Terry Cash of Clue Air and Forge, who seemingly gets a weekly shout out on this channel. Uh, <laughs> uh, he makes uh, custom coils and stuff for the induction okay, machines. Very cool. And 
he's made a few of these um, blade quenching uh, sort of like big deep U coils that you could go and just heat up the front section of your like of your blade where the edge is and then be able to quench. I'm sure they would off. use a lot of those in mass production knife shops, factories or whatever. Well, uh, yeah, I mean, for most of the production uh, knives, there there's not they don't usually uh, do differential heat treats. Okay. They usually are just heating the entire blade up in a big oven and they've got like a machine that's got all these knives hanging, the blanks anyways, and they'll come out of the oven and then drop into a quench tank. So you'll get a solid like consist- a powder coat line come out of the oven yeah yeah, yeah. It, it, i mean it's very much like any industrial process like that where they've got yeah. it set up to be like step 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 perfect results every time i'm sure it's fascinating to look at once but i'd much rather see a guy swinging a hammer yeah well i mean yeah. like, there's always this, this all sorts of different scales and sort of stuff like that to blacksmithing just like there is to welding and stuff but oh, I, you I know like you know, you you will find some guys who are hardcore traditionalists who are doing period work. They will decide on a period of time and the technology that they would be using, and they're you know running a coal forge with a hand crank blower or even big old leather bellows, and swinging a hammer at an anvil. They don't have any of the fancy gear, mm-hmm. you know. Mr. Whereas Good, Mr. Goodwill. Yeah, I mean, there's lots, there's lots of guys who do that kind of stuff, and it, it's got value, right? Especially for people who don't have a lot of cash to throw around on something like a hobby. Um, mm-hmm. Running that kind of stuff can be quite economical as long as you've got a space to do it in. I mean, then you've kind of got me as a sort of like middle of the road dude. I've got a small shop. I've got a power hammer. I've got a forging press. I run propane. You know, and then you get some guys who are, you know, like the Liam Hoffmans of the world who are doing essentially industrial forging. Yeah. Right. Now he's industrial forging small objects still. He's not getting into the crazy big stuff. Um, but, but but if you look into the background of Liam Hoffman, he, he literally started in a hole in the ground. That was yep. his first forge was he dug a hole in the ground and added a blower to it. Yeah. Hey, ev- everybody should actually try forging that. Right. Like I have absolutely like like I started my forging journey uh, like basically heating stuff up in a really hot like wood stove. And my anvil was a piece of like like three inch round, you know, mild steel that I drilled a hole in and then screwed it down to a piece of firewood. That was my anvil. I had a ball peen hammer and I started trying out forging on that. And once I melted the third damper in my dad's wood stove, he kicked me out and he actually acquired <laughs> me a little rivet forge and, you know, I couldn't get coal. So I was forging charcoal for a long time. You know, I, there is value in coming up and doing things the basic way and screwing it up and I have no idea what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it helps to motivate you to sort of like take those ne- next steps um, but it makes and you, you appreciate... get some of your mistakes out of the way. And you do. You appreciate like, oh, my God, you have no idea how much I appreciate having a power hammer. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Right. Exactly. You feed on it for endless hours. You can do it in 15 minutes. Yeah. 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 Well, and this is ex- that's exactly why Derek Melton told me, don't build your tire hammer yet. Get 
the skills you need in your hand hammering first and then finish the tire. Otherwise, hammer. you'll never develop them because you've got that crutch to lean on. And you'll yeah. never gain the proper appreciation for that tire hammer either or power hammer. That's yeah. And I, I mean, all a power hammer is. Because yeah. it makes yeah. it too easy. Yeah. Yep. And I mean, exactly. with a power hammer, I mean, you're not really doing anything on it that's any different than what you're doing at the anvil. You're just able to do it more quickly. The big thing there is your mistakes get a lot bigger, a lot faster. A lot. Oh, absolutely. Right. Um, there's, <laughs> yeah, there's some value to learning at the anvil, getting your hammer technique down and starting to understand how metal moves. Oh, yeah. One, because it's going to give you better knowledge of what you're actually doing under the power hammer. And two, there is just stuff that you can't do effectively under a power hammer. You know, there's lots of things that you need to be able to take it to the anvil and swing a hammer and do things like make corrections, sort out twists. Like to see somebody make scrolls under a power hammer. I mean, a power hammer would be for mostly widening and drawing out, right? Yeah, you can do it. For the most part. You can do a lot under a power hammer once you get, one, tooled up, and two, yeah. get experienced with it. Like, mm-hmm. I do, if I'm making hammers, axes, things like that, I punch my eyes under the power hammer. I know really? a lot yeah. of guys prefer to do it under a press. I personally have just had better success with doing it under a power hammer. Can you put um, a fuller into the power hammer? Yeah, you can. Really? I've got sets of fullers and swages that I can either hold in my hand and put underneath the power hammer or I actually have a cap like die caps so that I slide like, on. They look like tongs that would be the almost is that uh, what I'm kind of here. I'll just actually I'll grab a set and I'll show you. <laughs> I don't should have done getting better than that. <laughs> Unfortunately our learner. <laughs> our listeners don't get to see it, but I think what he's grabbing right now is probably a spring fuller. So essentially it's uh it is like you said. It's almost like a set of tongs that has your tools on both sides of the jaw, and then you just hit down on that. Okay. Then so that it's really it's just a bent well. piece of metal with yep. your round bits. And you fit whatever you need in between, and the dies are hitting down on it. All right, and then you have the opposite effect with a spring swage. All right, okay. where you can forge to uh, you know a set size round. Mm-hmm. You know, and there's lots of other kinds of tooling that you can either hand hold and put underneath them so that the power hammer or have setups where it'll be attached to the dies. You know, so is like, the power hammer, the further you push down the pedal, the further down it's going to go? Uh, to a degree. Basically, with a, with at least, especially with an air hammer, which is what I've got. Yeah, there's, there's two depends. sorts of big. There's two like sorts of big driven brake press. So that would be yeah. like the wheel one you're talking about. Yeah, there's there's two sorts. There's mechanical hammers and pneumatic hammers. Okay. Right. Mechanical hammers were actually originally developed to get around the patent for the steam hammer. Um, ones like the Bowdrys and little giants of the world, where you've got a rotating shaft that's got uh-huh. um an arm and a camming action that lifts your uh, ram up and down. I mean, mechanical hammers are much older than that, but they're these big old helves, which is essentially just a pivoting arm with a weight on the end. Um, They've got certain advantages and certain disadvantages. They are um, cheaper, simpler, easier to build, 
easy and uh, even when they're bought they're much less expensive um cheaper to maintain yeah cheaper to maintain they hit fast um however they one don't hit nearly as hard and two you tend to have very limited sort of free you know like airspace in between mm -hmm. so it's hard to get top and bottom tooling in there things like that and especially have that space and have a reasonable enough power stroke to actually get your work done yeah with pneumatic hammers once the air compressor whether it's internal or external is running and actually pushing air into the hammer it lifts the ram up and just kind of floats and as you start to depress your treadle and start letting air come into the ram it'll come down by stages at first depending on how hard you're pushing on the pedal and then how hard you're pushing on the pedal will determine how hard of a hit you're getting. Okay. Right. It's always going to run at the same cycle speed because the compressor is moving around is going up, down, up, down, up, down. Right. But it's about how much of that air from the power stroke is actually getting pushed into the ram. Yeah, I've always seen him come down there and kind of hover. I wasn't sure if that was yeah. just that cycling or if that was fully, you know, yeah, well it's full control with that foot pedal. It, is, know, so. it is very much like running the foot pedal on a TIG welder. Okay. A very similar sort of sensation or like the gas pedal in a car, right? Yeah. Like you can push down on a pedal and get yourself to the point where you're just kind of rolling and just coasting. But if you want to accelerate, you got to push your foot down a little bit further. And once again, eventually you'll hit that point where it sits, gets stable again. All right. Same kind of idea when you're running. Uh, a, a pneumatic hammer, especially the self-contained varieties. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Whereas the, the like tire I play, hammer, I need to play with one of one of each. I want to. I need to figure out which is best for me. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the big thing, like a, a mechanical hammer, is great for grunt work, right? If you don't want to draw out steel, like you know, at the anvil, it's it's a process that I think everybody should do, but. If you're, you know, trying to make like a batch of something or you've got some physical limitation or you can't be sitting there swinging all day or you're just even kind of like just getting to the point where you're building up that arm strength, the forearm and hand strength you need to actually forge, you know, uh, something like a little mechanical hammer saves your arm and it's great for doing work like drawing out. If you want to start getting fancy and using top and bottom tooling, punching, swages, things like that, mechanical hammer is not your best bet. Mm -hmm. You know, you're going to get much more use for that kind of stuff out of an air hammer. And well, they're, they're very different up, machines to work. We haven't even brought up the hydraulic press yet at this point, dude. Yeah, that, that again is, is sort of a... I'm a little little more familiar with hydraulic presses and brake presses, so that's not something that skeeves me out in any way whatsoever. You know, I look yeah. at that and can kind of can kind of box my mind around it at least. Yeah. Most welders have a little bit of experience when it comes to a press of some sort, whether it's just a shop press for pushing out bearings, or yeah, maybe you've absolutely. got you know machinery with hydraulics on it, so you understand. You pull the lever and you get so much actuation out of it, and you stop and it stops, right? And then the beautiful thing with a hydraulic forging press is you can set your dies in there and you get precisely the squish you want out of it by setting uh, what's called kiss blocks 
which stops yep. the the dyes from going any further than you want them to, right? That would so be the you, exact you same thing you're doing when you're when you're bending material on an old brake press, you know. Exactly. Yeah. Fancy computer guided system. Yeah, you gotta <laughs> yeah. kiss locks. Sometimes you get yeah. a little more than a kiss. <laughs> yeah. Oddly yeah. enough that you say that, uh Coal Ironworks just produced a press not that long ago that ha- it's computer programmed and it you set in your you know what you want your preferences for your squish and that's what you get out of it yeah i saw that that was pretty cool yeah very i've cool. got to double check i'm pretty sure i already follow him so i feel like i feel like i'm winning on that one yeah nice. coal ironworks is sort of the the biggest and most sort of popular press producing company around right now but you know, certainly I certainly north america suggest, i highly suggest that you head over to maritime knife supply.ca and check out what they've got. They've got the Rams head press. It's actually manufactured right here in Canada by Van School Blacksmithing. And you can get an awesome price point on that through Maritime Knife Supply. We can also save you on Paragon and Even Heat Kilns. It won't be the same Paragon kiln that I picked up. It'll be a much better Paragon kiln than what I picked up. We'll save you $100 on that if you head over to MaritimeKnifeSupply.ca and use the code FSCKILN and check out. Don't forget Absolutely. about their belt package, bud. Buy yes, 10, they save. do. The I knife, the that. belt package. Yeah, uh, I've been taking notes. You guys have given me a number of people to look up that that yeah. make knives and stuff. So, see, I've got homework as well. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Lawrence they, Nick uh, is freaking oh, phenomenal, best. dude. Yeah, who was that? Lawrence Lake. Well, he's MaritimeKnifeSupply.ca. He's the gentleman okay. that runs that. He is so awesome. And, and he's running a, a, a scholarship right now through the New England School of Blacksmithing for for people that want to get into blacksmithing for young people. It's like oh, very very cool, awesome. Yeah. Like this guy's been doing his knife supply shop for what two years now, just over two years. I he just so hit he was around back in the day. There's so much stuff that I had hard times finding that you can just get so easily these days. Like uh, he can source you anything, dude. It's like anything. Crazy. Like I, every time I go onto that website, I find something new. Yeah. I'm like, That's I'm going to end up with like spending thousands of dollars. I, I did. It sounds like uh, I'd be a kid in a candy store. You probably the will thing, be, man. Oh yeah. Christmas is coming up. I've been a very good boy this year. <laughs> yeah. And there's steel, abrasives, milling, all sorts of stuff. Milling yeah. bits. Yeah. Me- measuring tools. You're interested in freaking metallurgy and how all that stuff works. One of the best sources of information you can get for that is knife steel engineering, I believe it's called. Knife engineering. Sorry, not knife steel engineering. It's just knife engineering by Dr. Laren Thomas. You can buy that book through maritimeknifesupply.ca, baby. Yep. I don't, and I'm wondering, I don't know where this went with Dawson and Lawrence, but Dawson from the Twiller Linseed Oil recently reached out to Lawrence about maybe working together. And I, mean, Dawson, I haven't finished listening to his podcast yet. I was just listening geez. to it earlier. Is there a collaboration around the corner? Uh, I think there might very well be some uh, linseed oil being uh, provided through Maritime Knife Supply.ca soon. We'll see. Yes. We'll see. I have high hopes, man. High hopes because that would be awesome if Lawrence could have a supply for that out on the east coast and then you know dawson has his supply in uh, the prairies here so so forgive me the linseed oil would be for the scales and handles and everything then yeah but you can use it to hot finish you can use it to do all sorts of stuff even 
just coating your coating your steel to prevent corrosion just in general okay. just like you're like uh who is it uh max you 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 were on an interview with max not yeah, that max long Rome. ago yeah. yeah 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 well is that it's actually sebastian but um and his last name is more than Sarone. there's he's got a very interesting last name uh-huh. but anyways yeah he uh he was talking about how coating all of his press dyes and stuff like that with linseed oil prevents corrosion. So I, that's yeah. something that I'll I'll be doing. Probably helps with marring as well. Just a little extra, yep. little extra, little extra lube, lube in there, lube. you know. Yep. I, I use a the little bit of uh, lubrication. <laughs> I've I used in the past. I don't really anymore, but I used a combination of linseed oil, beeswax, and turpentine as my punch lube. Really? Yeah. I actually, I use beeswax and graphite. Graphite is now what I'm using, yeah. Yeah. So when you're actually punching things out of out of your blade work then? Yeah, so well, I, I personally, I'm not a knife guy. I, I generally try to avoid knives just because, yep. <laughs> one, there are people who are super dedicated to that and do a really fantastic job. Anybody who comes to me looking for a knife, I typically send them to one of my other contacts who mm-hmm. um who just like uh there's a guy named uh his instagram handles valhol Kneifer. uh he's a uh guy named hal here in ottawa he's a fellow vet and does uh some amazing knife work uh he's kind of like me though he's uh slow and broken a little bit and uh is uh <laughs> is is not exactly a rapid fire producer you know, but for things like that, I like to I like to pitch that off to other people just because it's not what uh-huh. I specialize in. So I do a lot more. I do woodworking tools almost exclusively. Okay. Um, okay. And uh, you know, for me, like for hammers and things like that, that's where I'm punching eyes. So I'm taking a block of steel and literally punching down through it to get that eye section. Mm-hmm. Um, and the beeswax and graphite one helps to cool your punch uh kind of slowly enough that you're not going to shock the steel and introduce hardness to it and mm-hmm. as well it gives you a, a little bit of lubrication to help get it out of the hole where it comes hey back out. <laughs> <laughs> and um it also it uh because it does burn off it gives you a little bit of gas space in there to help free the tool to let it come out of okay. the hole. Yeah. Nobody but wants you, to get rammed can... into a dry hole. You don't want to ram it in a dry hole, and the last thing you want is get stuck in there. <laughs> then you got to call well, the paramedics. <laughs> well, I'll tell you. You <laughs> depends. Pay for the extra hour on top of it, you know that's the worst part. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, bringing that one uh, full circle, are we? That's yeah. right. I put a pin in it, and we can't. We circled back around, gentlemen. Uh huh. <laughs> That's the evolution of a good joke right there. You got to drop it back in. Sprinkle a little more. <laughs> Be like Norm MacDonald and the punchline is the joke. He was famous for that shit, man. Yep. All right. So Norm MacDonald, uh, God bless him and everything. Uh, he was a bit a bit dry for most uh, Americans, but he was absolutely hilarious. <laughs> yeah. His delivery was one of a kind for sure. There, there is, is a sort of Canadian sense of comedy that's a little different than the American sense. Well, there's there's a big difference between American and English comedy as well. So, I mean, it's... Oh, not, yeah, exactly. Oh, I love sure. British comedy. Oh, it's the <laughs> best. 
but it's def you know it's definitely different than you know a lot of the stuff today. So I can oh, appreciate it. <laughs> That's all right. Everybody appreciates a good dick joke. One hundred percent. We totally bypassed something that I would like to go back to. Uh, I never got your gas rate from you on what you're doing when it comes to the uh, 35 to 40 CFH, pure Argon. Wow, wow, that's high, Freeman. dude. But I guess oh, with the big lot. cup. It's a lot of it. Uh, that's why a lot of times you'll see me when I'm doing the artwork, I wear a respirator. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not going to filter out all of it, uh, but it will definitely keep uh, most of it. You know, that. But you don't want to breathe in Argon? Not for six hours straight. Uh, because I, can, I, can, I can see no way that could possibly go wrong. It's denser than our, or denser than oxygen. So the good thing is when I'm working on a tabletop with holes in it, eventually it flows away the plate and will cover the floor. So as long as I'm not laying around on my garage floor, I'll be fine. Yeah, but um, when you but breathe it in, then it sits in the bottom of your lungs. As long as you wear a respirator, uh, you know, it's all right. But when I first started, I did notice, you know, the first couple of times shortness of breath and stuff. So it's like, maybe I'm inhaling a little too much argon here. <laughs> yeah, possibly. About, but with stainless steel, you've got to worry about hexavalent chromium. Hexchrom. Yep. So that's the other reason, reason I was wearing a, uh, a respirator. Now, hexavalent chromium or whatever the hell it is, uh, that is filtered out with the... Um, 2297, 2197 series 3M filters, uh, most of your Miller filters and stuff. So um, I like those better than a Papper system. Um, Ten years from now, there might be one that's small enough to put up with my crazy ass and the way I bounce around. But most of them are still bulky, and I feel like I'm kind of tethered to something. So I'd rather just mm-hmm. have some quick change uh, filters and do it that way. You know. What about having the air filtration helmet? That's a, a papper system. That's what you're talking. Okay, that's what I thought. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and the yeah. worst thing about those is uh, they they always go right behind your back. So anytime you toot, it's like farting in your face. You know, so <laughs> it, it really is, man. It's terrible. <laughs> oh, man. It's, the it's fact really, that you said toot was the best Wednesday part morning. of that whole okay. statement. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> yeah, we're talking about lubing it up and jamming it in holes. Every time you toot. <laughs> It's right back at you. Did I call it a toot? <laughs> Didn't I, I, I remember I was at high schools all day, so if I if I said toot instead of fart or uh, uh, air biscuit or something, I apologize. I, I forget that we're no longer in a G-rated environment. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that's awesome. I'm- I'm so glad we didn't have those air makeup helmets when we were in uh, college. They didn't really, they, they existed, but not like they do now, right? Where it's like almost mandatory that welders have them nowadays. But man, I've heard of guys playing nasty tricks, like going and wipe, putting a smear of poop over top of the inlet. Oh, and it's like, the, yeah. The, the amount of fuckery that would be available there is pretty endless. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. You know, or I could see a couple spoonfuls of baby powder in there and then they just completely smoke yep. out somebody's hood. Yep. That'd be pretty awesome. You know, yep. the, uh, the long distance antiquing, that's pretty neat. <laughs> that's also, oh. uh, that's why uh, the hood that I wear has got uh, side views in it. Coming from a shop, there's a lot of uh, horseplay amongst welders. So mm-hmm. being able to see them coming, you know, is a good way to be able to 
quick nut shot usually uh, deflates it just about any scenario. You know what I mean? <laughs> uh, and most people don't realize that welders have a peripheral vision. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> what use do those side views have outside of that? Um, in a fabrication setting, uh, the best thing I could find, done parts over here, ready to go parts over here. I flip down my hood, put in my earbuds, and I don't have to flip that hood back up until I'm done with that job. Okay. No, every time no, the ball not having to turn your head and you're working, never have to flip my hood up. Uh, I don't have to talk to anybody. The boss never gives you shit. Even if the boss is pissed at you and he's going to come bitch at you. Every time he comes back there, your hood's down and you're working. By the time he finally gets to chew your ass, he's going to be a lot less angry about it. So uh, <laughs> it's the best way to keep mm, me under the Very story. tactical. Very tactical. Yeah, you know. So if you see me working real good and hard for eight hours straight, I probably really dick something up the day before. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> Don't talk Just to me. Just trying to stay low. <laughs> Did you tell us what machine you're running at home? Fronius no, Magic he didn't. Wave. Yeah, Fronius. Fronius Magic Wave, absolutely. Okay, cool. Now, I, I run a lot of different machines, but um, if I was to choose one, it would be that one every time, for sure. Uh, our uh, our friend Alicia was telling telling me a similar thing. She runs the Froniac. That's Canadian Welder Girl, if you want to. Uh, oh, yeah, I will actually meet her next week. Yes, you will. Yeah, uh, so I will. I will see and meet her. I've spoken with her a handful of times, but never uh, actually met her face to face. She's. Uh, she, we had her as a uh, one of our ho- our guests on the show. I don't know, a few months ago now. I can't say what episode it was, but man, she was an awesome guest to have on because she's doing the artwork as well, making uh-huh. little sculptures and stuff like that. So, yep. getting this like insight of different sides of the metal working kind of it opens your mind more to like you know there's more than just what i can do with a hammer there's other things too right and you start looking at these different instagram accounts and maybe start adding these different techniques to what you're doing and stuff like that so it comes comes really great that we're bringing on different people from different trades i find right you can absolutely pick from everyone's profession and make your own little sweet potpourri mixture of whatever the hell you really like you know yeah i mean and a lot of what guys are seeing on instagram when it comes to blacksmithing is bladesmithing that is yeah. it's it's still because of forge and fire a de rigueur thing right but the blacksmithing world is a lot bigger than that there are guys out yeah. there doing all sorts of work, architectural, joinery, furniture, tools, you know, and tools of different varieties. There's guys who focus mostly on the blacksmithing tools. There's guys like me who do woodworking, you know, and even inside the knife world, there's guys doing stuff like, you know, like kitchen knives versus the guys out there doing EDCs or survival or big choppers or competition oh, yeah. knives. Dude, what the heck folders. is up with all the EDC accounts out there? Like it blows it's, me away. Again, so it's kids grow up and they get rid of their fidget spinners. <laughs> yeah. So. Right. I, I mean, there's there's almost like a whole EDC culture. The guys yeah. who are like it, it sort of overlaps, I think, a bit with the whole prepper idea. Okay. You know, guys yeah, who are into that, that sort of survival. Because I'm constantly going into high school, so I can't carry anything sharp or pointy on me. You know, so. Yeah. <laughs> Things you can't do anymore. Like, I, I went to high school, I had a knife in my pocket the whole damn time. Yeah, they don't like it. 
Yeah, yeah. I got expelled. Well, not, not expelled. Uh, suspended for having a knife at school. Yeah, well, I mean, gosh, when I went back to high school, you could still have your gun in the back of your, you know, your truck. But I mean, hmm. the '90s were different. <laughs> yeah, they sure were. Yeah, well, I was high school in the two thousands, and it was still different. <laughs> when did you graduate, Sean? Uh, Ninety eight. Oh, cool. So you're a little bit ahead of me there. I graduated two thousand. Did you go into welding right away out of, or not welding, but the, like, it, you went to, okay, so you went to university or college, right? Yep. Was, was that right out of college, high school? Uh, right out of high school and then started working as a temporary there two months into college. Um, finished my first semester of college and then never went back. Cool, dude. Cool. So I've done nothing See, but metal work ever since. I have a little bit of regrets because I went to school for computer programming right out of high school and similar thing worked for, or did the first semester decided I didn't like it, but I didn't know what to do with myself after that. And I ended up working in retail and tech support and freaking, uh, I worked for a construction company doing, um, flood and fire repair and stuff like that. Insurance claims, which was, that gave me a lot of great experience. For example, my brother's basement's effed right now. And he called me up the other day, like he's getting his whole foundation redone. And he's like, dude, I need to tear out all these walls and the floor and this and that. Can you help me? And I came down there. I was like, this is easy. Just grab this. And I, and I partway through cutting stuff with a skill saw and stuff, I came to realize like, it's easy for me, but I totally get why he needed my help. Like he just, he doesn't even know how to make the skill saw start almost like it's like holding it all awkward. He's like, how does this thing work? And I'm like, Holy frick. Oh yeah. Wow. So there's... <laughs> Everyone just naturally knows how to use. Yeah. No, there's, there's definitely an advantage to having done at least a couple of different things in your life. You know, yeah. I, started off as a woodworker you know i uh, went to did a year of uh of college for that we got a bit of a different thing we've got colleges and universities here which yeah i don't know how your terminology works in it'd be like university or a uh, college or vocational yeah kind of like trade, vocational trade or you know yeah something like yeah. that anyway. college is typically your skills and university is typically your uh, degrees knowledge right? stuff yeah Anyways, okay. uh, you know, so I did the woodworking and I was in the army for 14 years and I did university and went and got a, a joint degree history in poli sci and now I'm blacksmithing. I got, I, I got a joint degree too at some point in my life. I don't, I don't actually have the degree. It was never actually given to me, but I've earned it. Uh, you you rolled it up and used it for papers. No, oh, that's what happened to it. Shoot. <laughs> yes, smoked it. <laughs> well, I, I used it for something else before I smoked it. <laughs> oh, man. You know, but there's, there's an advantage to having a broad set of skills. You know, like I get people asking me for help doing that kind of stuff all the time. And I'm always happy to help. And you mentioned What's that you're, old? like, super interested in the machining side of stuff, too, eh, Sean? Well, I like any means of fabrication. Uh, machining, I really like machining um, because there is such a skills gap between people that do it and people that do it very, very well. Yeah. Uh, like, when you look at someone, you know that they're completely neurotic because their tool paths are even beautiful. Most people don't even think oh, about that. Oh, those CNC guys, they can go way into the rabbit hole. Oh, 
but that's awesome. You know, some yes. people, as long as the part is to spec, then it ships and it gets paid. Then there's other guys that say, I want it to meet spec, but then I want my final product to blow people's mind. Yeah. Um, any of the things we've talked about, Dave, there are people that do it very minimalist, but then there's people that go completely down the rabbit hole um, and really specialize in just one thing. I find it incredibly um, awesome to experience and watch people do that because you know that that person has spent an incredible amount of time investing in that single skill set. Oh, yeah. Something I never possess, but, you know, it's like kids nowadays like to watch other kids play video games. I enjoy watching other craftsmen show off the skill that they have developed. Oh, yeah. Some guys, is like you watch them, and it's poetry in motion when you're watching guys forging. You know, you know I, I can never say enough about watching Joey Vandersteeg videos. I, I wanted to say, let's let's throw out some names here. Who Who's some of the people that you would look at, Sean, in, in this respect? Um, for knife making, uh, I follow uh, on Instagram. He's RPM Neil. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, he does incredible work. Uh, if you guys would like to see someone that does incredible plasma work, uh, yeah. Ray Ripple on Instagram, uh, she'll be Fuck at yeah. uh, Fabtech next week as well. Um, you know, there's a couple other great welding artists out there. Uh, Pacific Tig Arc, the Welding Oki, uh, you know, yes. Garrett and Dustin are great people. Uh, Dusty's from, you know, the Canadian side. So I know uh, I've been trying to bug him to get on the show with us, man. Yeah. You know, um, you know, so there's a lot of people out there from every area of industry. Uh, I enjoy following people on Instagram and TikTok just as much as I enjoy posting stuff on there because it makes me a fly on the wall in some of these people's shops. And like I said, uh, I watch them as closely as anybody watches me to see what they're doing differently than I am. You know, you can see a lot of a person's process just by the way they position their body, by the way they're holding their torch yeah. uh, to where it's like, I've never tried that. So I walk out to the garage and give it a shot, you know, um, all of these things, you know, there's a lot of negativity that goes on with social media, but if you use it for the right things, it's an incredible tool, you know? Oh, fuck yeah. Yeah. And most yeah, Lando and I had a rambling conversation. About problems, it. you know? <laughs> yeah, Lando and I had a, a big, long rambling conversation about social media and other people's opinions the other night. Well, often some of the great, you know, it, the greatest weapon can be the greatest tool. It just depends who's uh, behind the trigger, you know? So mm-hmm. yeah, fully there, man. No two way stuff on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> uh, when I, when I start thinking of, of social media guys that, that really stand out to me, um, like the perfection of work, you know, I think uh, Mark Asprey, man. I don't know if you've ever looked at any of his work, Nick. Oh yeah, uh, that like... guy's a. Uh, I'm trying to think of the correct word. I was going to say a phenom, but I think more like a virtuoso is maybe the correct term to use for him. Like his that. work at the Anvil is super clean, super precise. Great guy to learn from. I think and Tor- um, Corbin. Torbjorn Amon, yep, definitely. Yes. He's got a really great set of skills. Great to watch work. Um, for somebody who does a little bit more of the kind of instructional side of things, Black Bear Forge, John Switzer. That man's yeah. hammer and tong technique is wildly underrated because he never talks about it. Right? But if you watch True, him. He doesn't. 
Yeah, if you watch his left hand specifically while he's forging, his ability to snap back and forth in between two positions and get perfect 90-degree turns, his ability to manipulate tongs and roll, his ability to to kind of like move it around in such a way that it's it's nice and clean I and precise. Suck at that so much, dude. That is the only way to develop that is practice. There's yeah, not like a technical the guy thing. The cup flawlessly, it looks easy. Yeah, it's not. so not. <laughs> Try yeah. dick tonging. Try dick tonging something, dude. That's oh, yeah. where you hold your tongs between your leg mm-hmm. and try to. Wait, your piece so wait, on. I think we call that something different here. We we just call that tucking. <laughs> dick oh man, yeah. No, there there are some guys who are actually like really good at being able to, you know, cram yield hot piece of steel between their legs and start doing like um We're talking hammer. hands free, the Stevo. Got to get it swinging first, but then you can get the whole meat and potatoes behind everything. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's timing, guys. Absolutely. <laughs> So many wrong directions today. Oh my god! <laughs> these are the best ones. Yeah, but like there, there are guys who are just really good at doing, you know, um, you know, hot punch and chisel work at the anvil, being able to mm-hmm. hold the piece in between their legs and actually sort of get the work done. Uh huh. Yeah. Um, that's something that Alex Steele actually I found was always very good at his ability to Alex yeah, Steele, that's the, the young british knife maker sword yeah. maker you know yeah so young he, anymore he, well he's huh? no he's still young um well, yeah yeah he, he's in his 20s now finally yeah, i went over and actually learned from him back in the day oh the yeah, guy he, is a phenomenal his grind, his grind work is beautiful his i mean everything you know that's that is a guy that is a Detail-oriented craftsman, for sure, you know. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah. Big time, man. Yeah. Uh, and, and just generally a nice dude. I th- I think of when I oh, – I don't know why, but I put the two names together all the time, Jakob von Brunhorst and Alex Steele. I don't know what it is. There's something – some sort of comparison there between the two of them for me. I don't know why. But maybe it's because they're both young guys and they just kind of like exploded in the scene out of nowhere type thing. I think there's an element of that. And I also think that if you look at the their style of work tends to be you know, kind of similar. Right. The the stuff yeah. that they put out, yeah. at least when it comes yeah. to knives. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, right? I, I know Yako does some other su- types of stuff. Um you know, but a lot of those guys came out of the Brian Brazil school of yeah. of blacksmithing, right? And you know, it it's got its merits. It really does. And those guys are all excellent technicians. <laughs> um anyways, and I mean when it comes to that sort of school of guys, if you want to watch somebody who is poetry in motion, check out Joey Vandersteeg. Are you guys going to tag the people that you mentioned in the description here to where people that are listening can go back and follow or anything like that? Man, you know what? I I was doing that on every episode up until recently because I it's a lot of work, man. It really okay. like it I, I could be writing it down over the place. I wrote a bunch of them down, so I will be I will be sharing pictures and stories from the people that I look up tomorrow. So if anyone wants to see them, 
check my stories for the next couple of days because I've got some research and homework to do uh, and some new people that are uh, going to start fascinating my life for sure. Right on. I will definitely be dropping you a follow, man. I, I didn't know about you until today, so hopefully I can show you something welding related that you've yet to see. You know, I'm sure that you can because I know nothing about <laughs> welding. I'm terrible. Well, mine is a little pipe welding and a lot of artwork. So sweet. What's, what what what, what, um, what grade of stainless are you using for that? Uh, usually it's going to be 304, uh, and then okay. I'm using 316 wire. So a little higher chromium content to pull a little more vibrant colors out of things. Don't try forging any of that. Yeah, no, it would not be. It would not forge well. No. <laughs> forging stainless. Forging, if you if you ever try forging, forging it? stain, it's well, you're doing the thin sections and stuff, right? If you ever try grabbing a bar of something like you know three quarter inch round, uh, three hundred four or three sixteen, uh-huh. it is a beast to move. It's like really? forging something like S7 or H13. You've okay. got to have it hot, and you've got to be swinging at it. Got to move it quick. <laughs> oh, yeah. If, if yeah. you start diving into the blacksmithing, Sean, you're going to find real quick that metallurgy, you're gonna, your mind will just be like, I want more. It's so yeah, awesome. Feel, feel free to get a hold of me and pick my brain if you want. That goes to listeners, too. Don't feel afraid right. to reach out to me. I like talking to people. It's not the right box on. you wanted to open. <laughs> Opening boxes, lubrication. I'm going to leave the box comment alone, gentlemen. <laughs> <laughs> that was All right, boys. Pretty even for me. Uh, right so, that's I do that. I'm I'm, I'm bad for that, man. <laughs> uh, yeah. I got lots of friends because of it. And that. <laughs> I, I, okay, so we're kind of rolling into an hour and a half here. Sean's got to get going right away. So uh, any any closing remarks we want to... You know what? We brought up the Twiller linseed oil, but we didn't drop the code. Yeah, I was going to say code. we should do it in the after show or something, but... Forge, Forge Chat 10 will save you 10% on orders $50 or more on thetwillerlinseed.com. And uh, get yeah. yourself some flex wax. The Lin Shield is the newest product he has available, Ooh. and it's uh, pretty much a flax wax with carnauba wax added to it for a little bit more of a harder finish. Oh, I will definitely be checking that out. I just got some in the mail, stoked. Put it nice, put in an order with Dawson. We're doing a little bit of a trade, I'm making him some stuff, and he sent me some stuff. So sweet, oh, nothing better than a little barter. That's the way it, yeah, Hell yeah. I agree, man. That's right. That's right. No need to bring ink and paper into this. <laughs> yeah. All right. So Sean, what do you man, say? There was, there was so much more I wanted to talk to you about in regards to what you do and how you do it and everything like that. This conversation went freaking everywhere, man. It was like we couldn't stay on path whatsoever. But yeah, We're going to need an episode two at some point. Yeah, Perfect. I think so, man, if you're down, dude. Perfect. Well, we can wrap things up, do something after Fab Tech. I Talk about my experience with the Canadian welder and, uh, you know, Dude, I'd love to come back on. That'd Perfect. Be beautiful. Beautiful. We'll throw the sheepskin on it then and uh, finish this up, bud. Right on. Well, uh, I appreciate you guys having me on. Uh, I hope the uh, the meandering path of the conversation wasn't too hard for the audience to follow. Uh, <laughs> I love it. Try it again and we'll see if we can't stay on task a little better. Yeah, it's not going to happen. 
Yeah, okay, well, then I'll come back and we can just bullshit for another hour and a half. How's that? Yeah, sounds great. I know. Right. know. Cool. That was my. That was mine. You stole right, it. Fine. You go first, then. You're a freaking hosehead. Take You're off. You're a hey. hosehead. Take off, hoser. Oh, jeez. Good day. Eh? Is that my turn? Good day, eh? <laughs> sure. This is the part of the episode that's called the after show. We're kind of, it's unformal and unstructured. We don't always do it, but why the hell not? Okay, well, that was Sean Floatman. He's known as Dab Welling- Dabs Wellington on Instagram. I highly recommend you go and give him a checkout, give him a follow, message him if you've got any questions about TIG work because he's super awesome about helping people out. And, uh, man, I, th- I think that was a pretty good chat, me personally. I know it went all over the place, and there was, you know, not our normal start off talking about what me and uh, Nick are up to, but uh, why don't we find out right now in the after show what have you been up to? No, it's kind of okay. <laughs> you didn't... What have you been up to? Yeah, you know last... what I've been up Yeah. The last week? I have yeah. been taking a mental health week. <laughs> yeah, you've been yeah, a little uh, on the uh, on the DL. I haven't been seeing you too much lately, man. Yeah, it's a bit of a time of year thing for me. I I mean, my mental health sort of cycles, you know, ups and downs. And then this particular time of year, he starts off with Remembrance Day and then through the holidays. I'm a a bit of a mess. Mm. But, you know, I try my best. It's one of the reasons why I I will never end up having a really super successful business because, like, from November on, I'm just like, yeah, I'm not putting out any work, guys. <laughs> You're not getting your Christmas presents from me. If you I, wanted, uh, ordered it in June. I know, I know this all too well, man. To be honest, not me personally. I don't necessarily deal with that, but I've uh, I've seen it enough times, so I I understand it, man. Um, yeah. Well, you know what? I'm developing sort of strategies for managing it and sort That's of, what you one of the do. things I Yeah, and one of the things that I do is that, you know, when my sort of shitty season starts for the year, it's you know, I I'm not really putting out products. If I make it in the shop, great. If I don't, oh well. You know. I I just do my best. Like I try to find something to work on that's sort of my own thing no stress or pressure for somebody who's a customer you know um i've I've been very slowly the last couple of years picking away at like this feather damascus chisel every every year in my sort of downtime i do a little bit more work on it maybe this year i'll get the handle done people sit there and ask me like how many hours does it take you to do that it's like uh Like, I I haven't exactly been keeping track over the many years I've been working on it. <laughs> well, yeah. How about you, man? Oh, you, your week, man. Uh, well, it was all right, I suppose. I don't know. I mentioned that I picked up that kiln. I uh, yeah, actually 
Forge on a bit this week. I was, uh, I had Monday and Tuesday uh, off from work, kind of. Um, so like a, a little bit of an extended weekend, but the reason I had Monday, Tuesday off is because my kid was absolutely like sick as F with a cold and green oh, man, he's could barely breathe coughing and like coughing all night long. So I'm not getting any, any sleep either listening to her cough all night long. And yeah, so I, yeah, uh, that's always hard with kids, you know, yeah. Doing better now though. Kind of over the hump. Not really. It's kind of messed up because I mean, I think she just got to a point where she's sick of being sick. So she's just like, screw it. I just, I want to do things. I don't care if I'm sick. And she found her energy again. So yeah. Even when she was down and out, she was still want like, what was it? Tuesday afternoon. I think, you know, she's down doing nothing or whatever. And I came and checked on her and she's like, Oh, I'm bored. And it's like, well, if you, you know, you're feeling okay, you want to come outside for a little bit. It's really nice outside. Like, we got lucky here in Winnipeg, man. I'm a couple hours west of us, and it's just like winter season hit hard already. Yeah. Uh, we had some pl- pretty lucky weather around here, too. Plus 17 yesterday, dude. Yeah, it's been warm. Yeah, it's totally unusual. Like, it's usually pretty nasty by now this oh. time of year. But so- I don't know whose connection is all screwed up. Is it mine or yours? I've been wondering that, like, you've been kind of, it's like you're not picking up on me talking a lot of the times and stuff like that. And I have moved my modem in my house not that long ago. And I'm wondering if, like, I've noticed that a couple times with us now. I'm wondering if my modem being where it is is causing me to have some lag or something. Yeah, I don't know, man. When it comes to this technological mumbo jumbo, it's exactly that to me. It's wizardry. I just, you know. Well, how are you? How do you have Wi-Fi in there? We've got a uh, Wi-Fi extender that's over in the next shop. Okay, so that yeah, so could be, I, I could get be you know me. like yeah, like my my connection here in the shop since we put the extender there has been very nice and reliable. I've got full bar coverage, you know, like I can actually like full Wi-Fi, I should say. I bet you, you it's know, me, I've, man, because I've I've noticed when I'm streaming porn lately that it's a little laggy. So I bet you it's on my end. Well, that's really the primary concern. You don't want it, 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 that. It's it, it breaks it's up terrible. your rhythm and ruins the mood. Yeah, no, yeah, no bueno. Yeah, yeah, that's the worst. Long. You're like you're getting to the good part of the seed, and all of a sudden you get the little spinning wheel of loading. You're like, oh come on! <laughs> Every once in a while, it locks screens on a good part, and it's like, well, at least it locks screened on a good part. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> Fuck. So wrong, dude. Dabs is going to be like, you did not just go there on my episode, you motherfucker. <laughs> Sorry, dude. <Yeah. laughs> this podcast is a free-for-all. Just no oh, politics, God. no religion. <laughs> Dirty jokes, fair game. I think, I think at one point, maybe we should talk about politics and religion so that we don't go so deep in the dark. Dirty do do i don't know do, do, do you think people actually want to hear our opinions on politics and religion i know people don't want to hear my opinions that's for sure <laughs> that has become very obvious yeah. to me <laughs> oh, i think there's a certain section of people that would appreciate you yeah i think there are few, yeah. i think there are fewer people who would really appreciate my opinion to be frank really 
Well, I mean, we had that kind of ramble uh, there a couple of nights ago, and you know, I, I, none of my ideas come up with anything positive. Oh. I'm basically a political nihilist. Actually, I'm basically just a nihilist. Yeah. yeah well, this, in the world we live in, it's kind of like I get it, dude. I totally get it, like 100. percent If anything, yeah. I follow suit in many ways but yeah yeah well tell you what send us send us comments and stuff on the instagram and tell us if you want to hear more about what we think about the world no we probably are going to ignore you but (laughs) we might we never know we might say something we already ruined the show enough talking about dicks all the time buddy i mean if people are down for that they must be down for us to talk about anything (laughs) You'd think, eh? Uh, but yeah, I've uh, I don't know. I got uh, got some forging in this week, so I had uh, I play. I don't know what it is that I'm doing like lately with my forging. I'm just like screwing around. In all honesty, trying. There's different nothing things. wrong with that, man. Yeah, I think that the, there is value to just screwing around while you're forging. Just try some stuff and see how metal moves. I mean, especially if you're in a position where you're still learning, right? You you don't have like your stuff. Yeah, yeah, we're all always learning. Don't get me wrong, but it's one of those things when once you've kind of got like a style and methodology for your forging figured out, you know, there's slightly less incentive to to just fuck around with stuff, but. I think especially when you're starting out, like, don't be afraid to just go and try stuff. You know, try it. See what happens. Well, I tried you know, a lesson do... in uh, joinery is what I tried. Oh, yeah? Yeah, I took yeah, a... Joinery... joinery is lots of fun. Yeah, well, that's honestly where a lot of my interest lies is is starting to learn joinery. And, I mean, Mark, like, I, we brought up Mark Asprey. He's a, a master of uh, destruction when it comes to that kind of stuff, man. He just freaking lays it out like no one else can almost. And yeah. uh, draw a lot of inspiration from his work when it comes to that kind of stuff, looking at his stuff and, and seeing, like, how joinery works. And, and freaking, oh, God. What's his name again? Um, Braspinix, Peter Braspinix. Holy frick balls! Oh, dude, you can't, you you can't get better than that. Like it's insane the work that that guy does and the the intricacies of how things flow together in ways that you look at and it's just like, I don't even understand how you put this together. It just doesn't make any sense, almost, right? Yeah. And, and, and all the curves and the lineage is just perfect on his shit. It's crazy. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, there are guys out there that are just absolute masters at that kind of forging. You know, I think everybody who's a blacksmith should go and try at least a little bit of it. You know, try doing some hot wraps or hot collars. Try doing, you know, a uh, 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 punch and, uh, yeah, like a slit and drift uh, and then riveted tenon sort of thing. Right. You know, like, it just do a little bit of that because a it sort of expands your skill set but b it also gives you some appreciation of what other people are doing yeah you know like and blacksmithing joinery is one of those things that's interesting because it's similar to woodworking joinery in some ways but also very different in other ways and i kind of like comparing them and 
you know, looking at woodworking joinery and seeing what of it can actually apply to metalworking. Yep. Totally. Yeah. I think the uh, the idea of dovetail joints on wood, bring that into metalworking, dude, that would look so cool. So cool. Yeah. So dovetail joints in metalworking are actually, well, first off, it's a thing um, already. Uh, but one of the primary differences is that because metal can kind of flow, right? Um, dovetail joints in metal are typically double double dovetails. Yeah. Right? So with normal dovetail joints you do in woodworking, you've got tails and pins. All right? The pins taper in one direction and the tails taper in the other direction. And that's how they right. sort of lock together. Right? right? Whereas with metalworking... Um, you typically just have tails and tails that fit together and then you peen them and the metal will go and spread and fill out the extra space. That makes and sense. Permanently locked joint. That makes um, sense. Okay. That's how um, most infill planes used to be made. So infill planes are like a, a style of hand plane where you've got a metal body and wood infills that sit inside of it to form your, you know, the bed for the iron, the handles. Right. And um, when they're done right, you actually can make them almost completely disappear. They, hmm. they, it looks like a solid piece, and you don't even see it. Like you want to see yeah. a master of that? I've dropped his name a few name a few times, but Conrad Sawyer, right? Okay, it's spelled like sour S A U E R, um, Sauer and Steiner planes, and like his his stuff is just perfect and beautiful. The guy has really nailed down how to do these metal dovetail joints. Hmm. Well, the joint I did um, was about three CBD, grams DHC. of uh, sativa. I mean, well, oh. wait, wait, what was we were talking about again? Uh, joinery, joinery. The joinery that I did was I took a piece of one inch by quarter inch flat bar. Uh, it was okay. about 12 inches long. And I split the top of it to create two scrolls uh, opposite of each other, like scrolled outwards, right? Okay, yeah. And then where the scrolls come down and meet the bar, about half an inch down from that, I started doing a square slot punch. Okay. A rectangular uh, slot punch. Right. So I punched that through, created a, a rectangular slot. And then I took that, that was one inch by half inch. Okay. And then I took, no, it was one inch by quarter inch. And then I spread it out to half an inch. Okay. Yeah. You drifted it open. Yeah. And then I took a piece of one inch flat bar, another piece of the one inch flat bar by quarter. And I folded it in half and put it through the hole so that the folded end went through the hole. And then the wings. Uh, okay, I see the. Yeah, I know the kind of joint you're talking about. Yeah. Then, then the wings spread open behind, and that locked it in. And then the piece of flat bar that was bent that came through the hole, I opened that up using a round drift, and created a slot for a piece of round bar to go through to like really lock it in, right? Yeah. And, oh, that's those all very a very interesting style of doing joinery that way. You know, like there's what's called doing a tusked tenon where essentially you've got a mortise and tenon. The tenon goes all the way through and passes out the sort of backside. 
and it yeah. has uh, another hole in it that you drop your tusk, which is a papered pin yeah. through. And yeah. by driving that down, it sucks the mortise and tenon tight together. That's but exactly what allows you, yeah, and it allows you typically to drive the pin back out and disassemble it. Now, yours so you know doesn't sound like it's so easily disassembled, but I, I no, understand the purposely, process purposely. Yeah. But the funny thing about it. I looked at the piece that I made and I was like, holy shit, kind of looks like an elephant. So the pin that I put through is the tusk. Tusk. Yep. Crazy, you are not eh? the first person to make that observation, my friend. Oh, obviously. <laughs> For, I think there's a, some, some history there. Yeah. Anyways, bud, um, I haven't had supper yet. Kid's going to be going to bed right away. Any last parting words of wisdom or... Lack of wisdom. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, hey, hey, Instagram follower people and listeners. If you feel like asking questions, just drop me a DM. Nick is bored. Old soldier tool work. (laughs) (laughs) I do get bored and I like people asking me questions. I'll try my best to answer them whenever I can. Do some. I mean, I'm. Be yeah, that gives me a time. Man. That gives me a time limit. I've got to do things on. Like, what do you mean? I'm, Instagram Live. Just yeah, it means I've got to. Yeah, I, I'm. I like to be able to answer questions at my own pace because I usually give really long answers. Well, that's why Instagram like, Live is perfect. You get a question, and you're like, I'm gonna go live with this question. You fucking hit the live button, and you just fucking start rambling, dude. Well, there you go. Maybe that's what I'll do. Toss me some questions, and if I get some really good ones, maybe I'll do live answers to them. I would love to see this, man. Honestly, dude, it kind of excites me, the idea of you doing that. I, it really there does. You go. We'll do some some uh, Ask Nick, and maybe he'll have an answer. One hour of dick jokes, bud. That's my first request. <laughs> it's just going to be me sitting there going, Penis, 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 penis for an hour long. Different accents. Schlong. (laughs) Cock and balls. Oh, she likes the penis, does she? (laughs) Uh, uh, I'm not going to be feeling any any stupid, stupid requests like that, Lando. Real questions. That maybe I'll have real answers for, and maybe I'll give joke answers for. You'll never know. Hey, man, you're a very knowledgeable person, buddy. I think you got some some wicked knowledge up there, so tap into it if you can, people. Yeah. yeah. Feel free. All right. Cool. All right, man. Uh, Talk to you later. Okay. Bye. 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 Good night. Okay, so one last thing that we didn't go over on the show is there's a knife build along contest going on right now. You can find the information on Redbeard Ops uh, on Instagram. There's the contest rules and timeline are posted on his uh, on his page. Find out all the information on that. It's open to people within Canada and the U.S. Uh, this is something that was only open to the USA, but is now open to Canada due to the generosity of sponsors. So I highly recommend that everybody tries to take a take a swing at this. Go take go take a look over at Redbeard Ops page. See what you need to do to be eligible for the contest, and uh, and give it a shot. 
why not? Hey, join join the fun and join the community. Thank you very much to everybody that's involved in this because this is these events is why our community is so awesome. Stuff like this, the connections between all of us, it really keeps things going. So thank you to all of the people that have organized this and have donated their time and uh, have been have been there to be, be part of it. Uh, to everybody that it submits to it as as well. Thank you for taking part in it because you know, if you're not submitting then contest probably isn't going to keep going on. So get on those submissions and get them in and good luck to everybody. Cheers and uh, good beers.